outside? Should I run and hide? How do I take my company worldwide? Do you love the law? Did you watch Hee Haw? What's the weirdest thing that you ever saw? What's it like in court? Favorite sport? Can you help with my book report? Is my hair too long? Am I right or wrong? And do you mind if I sing along to anything? Ask Alan anything in the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this uh, episode of Ask Alan, the podcast. I'm Alan Crone, uh, the CEO of the Crone Law Firm. And uh, with me today, I have a, a Memphis icon, um, <laughs> someone that if you uh, are, are conscious around town, you know, needs no introduction. And that is Joe Birch, the uh, one of the co-anchors of Action News uh, 5. Joe, welcome to the program, and thank you for doing this. Well, Alan, thank you so much for the invitation, and I look forward to a fruitful conversation. Yeah, I, um, you know, you and I have known each other a, a long time. We uh, uh, go to, to the same church sometimes. Uh, you yeah, visit yeah. us at the cathedral. I know you're really involved at St. Patrick's downtown, where you've been involved right. for many years. Um, uh, let, let's start a little bit uh, where I, I normally do, and that is kind of the your background. Uh, did you grow up in Memphis or are you from uh, someplace else? Well, you know, Alan, this is a story that I don't generally tell on television because I'm a Yankee and I don't reveal that for, for fear that some of our viewers might abandon us to have this Yankee out of towner uh, telling the news. But what happened to me was I grew up in northern New Jersey, right next to New York City. So I watched local TV news in New York, religiously, uh, got very interested in that growing up as a kid. And just to give you a, a sense of the, the place, um, the George Washington Bridge between New Jersey and Manhattan, the Jersey side of it is in Fort Lee, New Jersey. And Fort Lee is where my people were from on my mother's side. And Fort Lee happens to have been the first Hollywood in America. When the movie camera was invented in the early part of the 20th century, Thomas Edison had his inventing uh, world uh, focused around that area. Um, the fir first movies for five years were shot in Fort Lee and it was a beautiful place with the Hudson River and what we call the Palisades, this magnificent uh, rocky, um, cliffy uh, area on the Jersey side across from New York. And so my family members were involved in building sets of the very first movies that were ever made. Uh, and uh, they were uh, electricians and they uh, did explosions and things like that. So Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Sly Stallone and all the action uh, stars, oh, these pioneers uh, some some credit for for what they did. There's a new museum there that has just opened that focuses on those five years. Now the 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 movie makers discovered Hollywood as they found the weather out there really amenable, and so that's what happened. We all know what happened, but it moved. But for five years in the early, so some of my family was literally involved. And there's some books and. Uh, that mentioned their names and uh, one of my relatives has written a book about it so it's it's a fascinating subject for me so 
when I was a little, little kid, maybe four or five years old, I found out that one of my uncles, my great uncles, was involved with the creation of Mighty Mouse, the cartoon. Now, as a four or five-year-old kid, all right, but to me, you know, some the younger generation today doesn't really understand who Mighty Mouse was, but he was a superhero mouse. <laughs> Here I come to save the day. Well, <laughs> and he'd fly like Superman. Well, when I found out my great uncle George was part of that, he ranked number one <laughs> among my family members in terms of total respect. And I only met him a few times, but boy, I admired that guy. And so uh, he, it turns out he was a cameraman for the very beginning of the movies and that sort of thing. Well, the next town from Fort Lee, moving away from New York City is Englewood. I was born there. And the next town is Teaneck. And I grew up in Teaneck. So five miles as the crow flies from the George Washington Bridge. I'm the oldest of five kids. We're Irish Catholic, Joseph, Patrick, Marianne, Kathleen, and James. Um, mom and dad uh, raised us in suburban New York. And there were, uh, but it was in Jersey there, right outside New York. And the whole focus of that region is the city. And so um, my dad worked at 99 Park Avenue, which is right next to Grand Central Station for 30 years. And he was involved with the ground floor of uh, computer applications for corporate America. And so he was friends with people at IBM and Honeywell and the beginnings of the computer business. And, uh, you know, when we were growing up, uh, there was a famous movie that Dustin Hoff Hoffman was in where uh, one of the mentors, a business person said, plastics, kid, get into plastics. Well, my dad said to my brother and I, who's two years younger than me, computers, boys, when we were little kids, get into computers. This is the future. And he was 100% right. But did we listen? No, we didn't. <laughs> but anyway... That's where I'm from. Now, what I did was I went to a Christian Brothers High School, just like CBHS in Memphis. And Alan, oh, this is a confession. I showed up a couple of times without my homework. And one of the brothers, I kind of, he, he looked like a wrestler. And this was in the day, they didn't smack you around, but there was the possibility that could happen. And he said, what do you think we're doing here? And I said, well, I, you know, I'm just, I'm supposed to be here. And so here I am. He goes, well, you got to do your homework. So you get off that school bus every day and you just give it all to me and I will accept it from you. And that way you don't have to disseminate it among all the teachers and I'll hand it out to your teachers. So this guy, you know, made me his accountability partner and he saved my life. He saved my life. And, um, when it came time to go to college, I was, uh, you know, uh, goofing off again. And he said, where are you going to college? I said, oh, I don't know. I'm, Vietnam was still going on. I'm 66 years old. So, well, I know I've given you a very long answer here, but the, the point is that uh, arrangements were made for me to go to Christian Brothers College in Memphis, Tennessee at 650 East Parkway South. And, uh, and that's where I landed. And, uh, what a blessing that place has been in my life. And I'll go into that a little, a little more, a little later, but I'm from New Jersey, Alan. <laughs> well, I, I, I may not be a journalist, but I broke a story. 
Uh, <laughs> Joe Birch is from New Jersey. Um, right. But, you know, Memphis is, is probably the best place to come uh, for acceptance like that because, uh, you know, Memphis is a river town and all of the, the greats that uh, have, have accomplished great things here, Boss Crump, Elvis Presley, W.C. Handy, uh, they're all from someplace else. That's and, true. Uh, so, you know, we don't care where you're from, Joe. We're just glad you're <laughs> Well, thank you. Memphis has been just a gigantic blessing. You know, so I came to CBU. I met my wife. And we have two sons who both attended CBU. And one of the greatest quirks in collegiate history in our family, my boys studied different things. Number one son studied economics and studied business. And he's now a certified financial planner with Legacy Wealth Management after going to the Cecil C. Humphreys School of Law. And number two son worked for AutoZone for six years and now is with a company called Harbor Freight based in Los Angeles. But he lives here and he does his work on the computer. Well, they ended up with the exact same grade point average. They both graduated with honors. I mean, down to the decimal point. <laughs> so... One could not say the other is smarter than the other. <laughs> it was unbelievable. That's it was consistency. Just the most uncanny thing. That's yeah. consistency. That has that has <laughs> has to be a part of their their upbringing. Is um, <laughs> you you've done it. You did. You and your wife did a great job with both of them. Mostly Mrs. B. Yes. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. Kids excel uh, in spite of me. There's there's no doubt about that. That's right. Well, let me ask you this. Um, did you maintain that interest in media and performing uh, from five, four or five years old through college? Or, or how did you decide, you know, I think I really want to get into journalism? Well, I'll tell you uh, what happened was, uh, no, at first, um, while I was enchanted with TV and uh, really loved TV, and my father, who was this computer guy, was also a terrific carpenter, tried to teach me carpentry. And I would say, Dad, you know, Daffy Duck is on. I have to watch this. <laughs> but my youngest brother got the carpentry gifts. Thank God his, my dad's skills live on. But what happened to me was um, I was enamored by faith. All right. And so we grew up in a, in a household where we were at the front row of the Catholic Church every Sunday. And uh, five kids all there with mom, and we went to the noon mass, and um, and I went to a Catholic parochial school, and so uh, started going on retreats as a young guy, uh, trying to discern whether I had a vocation to the priesthood, and so I did that uh, for a brief period, and actually even went to the Carmelite Seminary for my freshman year of high school uh, in Niagara Falls. Ontario. And so my parents sort of begrudgingly allowed me to do it because I was pretty, pretty adamant about it. Well, this was 1970, 71. Okay. <laughs> A long time ago. And it, it started to dawn on me that um, while I was there, I had a tremendous experience. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. My great memory is of laughing at the dinner table with my classmates. I mean, we had a lot of fun. It was terrific. And you know, there we have the, the priest scandal in the church. None of that happened 
in my year in the seminary. There was never a hint of that kind of activity. I'm proud to tell you that. Um, but I did discover as an adolescent young man that I liked girls. <laughs> and I wasn't going to be able to, uh, to do the, uh, the, the vow of celibacy. And, and, and one of the reasons is I took a girl on a date, believe it or not, while I was in the seminary and said, you know what, I don't, I think I better let them know. And so I did. And, and um, it was a wonderful experience that, that, uh, that seminary, which is now a retreat center, is literally about 300 yards from the Horseshoe Falls um, that are next to Niagara Falls. And so it's on the Canadian side. And when the mist would fly up in the wind toward us, it would literally hit us on campus. I mean, it was that close to the, and so I can actually pick it out uh, from photographs and the spots, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I, I uh, had that a great, so I, I, I had to sort of reinvent myself. And I, I went through this period of lazy high school kid. I did really well academically in the seminary because there was nothing else to do but study. <laughs> and, and I uh, studied hard. And then when I got home, I goofed around and, uh, and uh, got on focused. And then, as I mentioned, uh, got directed to CBC. And then one thing led to another where the light bulbs started to come on, especially uh, with some phenomenal professors there. And, um, and I had been watching the news in high school. That's one thing I did do. I watched the news when I got home. And I was just interested in it. I was interested to find out what was going on. And I was interested to see how various stations covered stories. And, uh, and so I actually watched stories with guys who ended up being my mentors, my bosses back here in Memphis. So it was something that stuck with me and from adolescence. Well, I remember, I've been in Memphis long enough that I remember Joe Birch, the reporter. And mm -hmm. uh, you, how long were you a reporter um, before you became an anchor? Yeah, but I never tried to become an anchor man. I had no intention of becoming an anchor man. It just sort of happened. But I was a reporter. I wanted to be a reporter. So I had watched these reporters just changed the world in New York. There were, there were just phenomenal journalists there. And I said, I want to do that. And so I, uh, <laughs> on January 28th, 1978, I got to Channel 5, and this is how I did it. My academic advisor was a guy named Dr. Eric Brown. He was a uh, English professor with the beard and the tweed coat, you know? <laughs> He ended up becoming a very successful entrepreneur with a company that began by rewriting the memos for Fred Smith's executives into better English. Anyway, he, he, he became quite well-to-do as a result of starting a company doing that. But um, I got in there because his wife, Eric Brown, Dr. Eric Brown's wife, was second cousins with Ed Graney, who was the assistant general manager. And he agreed to listen to my plea to become an intern at the station, okay? And in walks the news director, a guy named Frank Gardner, who I had watched as a reporter on WCBS when I was in high school. 
he was a terrific reporter and I admired him. And I told him that day, January 28th, 1978, I'm going to be a reporter for you. And his head just dropped and he started shaking it. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. You're the 10,000th college kid who's come in here and made this thing. No, no, you'll come here and learn something. And then you'll go off to Tupelo or Greenwood, Mississippi, or, you know, Jonesboro, a small market where you generally start and you make your mistakes and you learn and grow and move up to Memphis. Well, <clears throat> I said, no, I'm going to be a reporter for you. <laughs> and so I got in the door that day. They let me hang around. They didn't pay me anything for uh, until I graduated May 20th, 1978. That's the day of my graduation and it's the day of my hire. And I've been hired there ever since. And in 1978, if you remember what happened, the firefighters went on strike that year. The police department then went on strike in sympathy with the fire department in another week. And then later in the fall, the teachers went on strike. There was more news to cover than we had reporters to cover. Well, I was toting equipment. I was a schlepper. I, all I did was uh, help photographers because the equipment then was very bulky. Mm. And so I carried this big Sennhauser microphone with a, a recorder that had an umbilical cord to the photographer who carried this big battery pack, his camera. That's what technology was like then. But thank God it was like that then because it provided a job for me. And it allowed me to observe how reporters do their work here. And I learned on the job. And so I started doing interviews because there was more news to cover than we had reporters. And all of a sudden, Wyeth Chandler, the mayor of our city, is responding live at a news conference to an interview that I had just done. Now, I wasn't on camera in 1978, but I did the interview with uh, the fire uh, commanders who were fighting fires, who were guys who were older, who really shouldn't have been out in the hot sun doing that. But because of the strike, they were forced to do it. And uh, incredible interviews. Well, I was addicted right there. And so, <laughs> quick story. Um, we used to have this thing called news programming service that NBC had. And what this was, was all the local affiliates around the country were expanding their early evening newscasts because it's very profitable for TV stations to do that. Well, they needed, quote, eggs for the Easter basket. We just had Easter. They needed stories told. And so reporters could create a national story if there was a, a national angle to your story and send it in to NBC. And NBC would send the reporter and the photographer each $100. Well, I was literally making $235 an hour minimum wage, college degree in hand, $235 an hour. My father's shaking his head. I don't understand this. And I started sending stories to NBC that I found on my own, okay? On my dinner break or lunch break, I'd convince the photographers, hey, instead of eating lunch, do you want to go make a hundred bucks? They'd say, yeah, man, we all were broke, you know? So I started sending these stories to NBC. And then Frank Gardner, this guy calls me in his office. He says, you can close the door. I said, oh. He said, so I hear you're on TV. And see, by then they had let me on a little bit, right? 
1979 was when I made my debut, one year after I arrived at the station. And so I was on, frankly, when there was nobody else, they put me on. Well, <laughs> uh, Frank says, yeah, I'm, I, I said, yes, sir, I'm on TV. He said, no, 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 I don't mean that here. I mean that you're on in Portland, Maine and Portland, Oregon. You're on in San Diego and Miami, you're on. You know how I know this? And I said, no, sir, I don't. Because my friends work in these places and they're calling me, asking me, who is Joe Burt? <laughs> and so he said, two years after I got there, okay, you are a reporter. You're right. $15,000 a year, which was a magnificent amount of money for me. And he said, uh, wear a suit every day. Now get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it was great that's wonderful that's a that's a great story and you know and it really shows that uh, you, you know you make you make some of your own luck um and you put yourself in a position to succeed well that's right you know if there's a young person who's listening to this interview our conversation you know there's a yiddish word called chutzpah all right that means guts all right we all have to have a little bit of chutzpah. You got to have some guts to, quote, get over, all right, to convince those who are in charge that you are capable, that you are competent, that you can do it, you know? And, and usually it takes something like that to convince the higher-ups that, oh, wait a minute, this guy's a player, and he wants to be in the game. The other thing that I did was I showed up one hour early for work every single day. And I was supposed to be there at 8.30. I got there at 7.30. If you do that, people notice it. People say, this guy wants to be here. He's part of our team. He's hungry. He's gung-ho. He'll do anything we ask him to do. So it was like that. So it was like that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you kind of a schmaltzy question, but I'm I'm always interested in an answer. You've been you've been uh, covering Memphis for uh, over 40 years, right? I mean, what yeah. what uh, what have you seen change? What do you think is better now, and or what do you think is not so good now than it was in the early 70s or the late 70s, early 80s? Well, I must say that. Uh it felt like we were kind of dead in the water in the seventies. Um, I think Wyatt Chandler was a good man and a good mayor. And I, I liked him very much. He was very good to me. I was this rookie guy, Greenhorn, and they would send me down there all the time to interview him. And, um, and we became pretty close, uh, Wyatt and I, uh, because I was there a lot and I got to know him, you know, um, and I never had an appointment. <laughs> I'd just show up and he'd come out. I'd tell his secretary I was there. So I got to see him try, you know, and this is right in the aftermath of Dr. King's assassination. So I joined the station 10 years after that, but st the city was still struggling with, with the ramifications of that. And, you know, downtown had been abandoned. It was a ghost town largely, you know, they said, <laughs> If they saw somebody uh, downtown that either they were lost or trying to find the rendezvous, right? <laughs> <Something>. <laughs> well, um, boy, have things changed since that time. 
um, Wyeth did Mud Island. And, you know, I was there for the grand opening. And honestly, there was a lot of energy. That was 1982. So that's 40 years ago. Um, and it was, it seemed like a good idea. It turned out to be not a practical idea. It just didn't work. But you don't know that until you do it because it's just one of those things. This was going to be a unique thing on the Mississippi River. Well, uh, maybe if we could have foreseen exactly how it went down, maybe we wouldn't have done it. Maybe we would have just done an amphitheater and maybe a restaurant. River Terrace was terrific, you know, and maybe that would have been enough, you know, maybe the river model. I don't know. But, but I admired Wyeth for trying. And then, you know, Dick Hackett came along. And Dick was a very different kind of mayor. Uh, he was counting paper clips. Okay. <laughs> he was somebody who was very attuned to uh, the taxpayers and their desire to keep taxes low, which is a terrific thing. Um, he was also the king of America's distribution center. He was the man who had made that uh, our motto, along with FedEx and the powers that be in town along that and that is the bedrock of our economy and so we got to give him some credit for that then comes willie harrington i was up all night the night willie harrington won by 142 votes i think the number was and at six o'clock in the morning uh, i was on the air after having been on all night long and he was declared the winner and uh, mayor hackett did not contest it which i thought was a gentlemanly thing to do and the right thing to do and um, and then began the reign of Willie Harrington. And it was a very interesting thing to see. You know, I got to meet Isaac Hayes during that time. He came in town for the inauguration and the swearing in and um, Barry White <laughs> and a lot of stars came to that and, because it was a, a monumental, seminal moment for the African-American community. And I could feel the pride that they had. And I think for two terms, Harrington was a good mayor. I think um, when the, his chief executive officer um, left him, the administration changed a lot. But, um, but the, the, um, the point is that Willie hung in there. He won five times, I think it was. And uh, uh, he was mailing it in, in my opinion, in the last couple of administrations. And he, I think, recognized he was doing that and checked out. And I have a famous interview that's on YouTube where he changed his mind <laughs> and decided to get a filing petition after he had left the mayor's office and we were having a special election. And I was just questioning him live on the air about why, why are you doing this? I mean, we're a poor city. It costs a million dollars to run a special election. And now we have to have it because you resigned and, and you know, you could have just stayed mayor. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, if you watch that interview, you'll see that I'm basically just asking very simple three sentence questions. And he's going on for about, well, like I am for about 10 minutes per answer. <laughs> um, so, but I think, I think the Harrington administration was, was, uh, was, was good. You know, Beale street really came alive during that time. Uh, There's a lot of companies that did well here during this time. And then, um, you know, we had the A.C. Wharton years and uh, A.C. is somebody I respect. And I, I'll tell you this kind of inside uh, 
joke. I asked him, you know, he was our Shelby County mayor before he was elected our city municipal mayor. And I said, mayor, you know, every now and then I, I make a mistake, you know, on the air. And I said, I'm just, I just wonder, this is after he was city mayor. I, I just wonder if you've ever driven to the county building and parked in the mayor's spot while you've been city mayor. And he goes, it happened one time. <laughs> he forgot which, which office he was holding for a minute and then snapped out of it. He must've been on the phone or something. But, um, you know, he was, he's a real gentleman and a lawyer's lawyer uh, in your business. And then Jim Strickland came along and I must say, before the pandemic, there was an energy in our city that I had not really sensed before, that we were on a roll, unlike any role we had been on. You know, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, I believe, is the epicenter of the new dynamism in the Memphis economy. And it's the number one brand in the world, a, a most respected brand in the world. And young people want to work there. They're a global name. Uh, just look what they've done in Ukraine, evacuating sick children. It's a remarkable thing they've done. And before the pandemic, everything was moving in the right direction. And, and it is now too, but it's just the pace is not as quick because the pandemic took, a, you know, it took a, a lot of pep out of everybody's step. And, and has broad ramifications uh, throughout the whole world, not just Memphis. But um, I, think, I think, God forbid that COVID becomes what it has been the last two years again. But I think we have every uh, reason to believe that this economy and this city is on, on, a, on a path towards a, a great future. I believe that for a lot of reasons. I believe that because of St. Jude, FedEx, and the other many great companies that are here. I believe in it because of the entrepreneurs who are here, young people, uh, young couples who are doing mom and pop places. Uh, that we, this is really, I think, the key to Memphis's economic success in the future is the success of African American entrepreneurs. Um, I just did a mobile food pantry downtown with St. Patrick Community Outreach and the Memphis Rotary Club. And it was our 15th one in the pandemic. We served 500 families a week's worth of groceries. So we've done that 15 times. And as a thank you to our volunteers, we bring a coffee truck in and there's a fellow named TQ. Uh, it, it's his wife is named Tequila and his name is Quentin and their name of their business is TQ. And, you can find their coffee truck in Overton Park on most Sundays if it's nice weather. Well, the FedEx Forum recognized this young man has it going on. The products are great. And, you know, I, I get kids from St. Agnes and CBHS to help us, us old people load these cars. And uh, I asked each kid, because I'm the one who collects the paperwork from the clients as they come through the Mid-South Food Bank needs papers on everybody. And, who's getting served and that sort of thing. I asked the kids, did you like that drink that they, they picked? And to a person, everyone said, this is delicious. This is great. They make a, a variety of different kinds of, of uh, drinks kids like, as well as coffee, like old guys like me like. Well, FedEx Forum 
recognize this man's entrepreneurial skill and he's building a from the ground up a brand new coffee stand that will serve all these products inside the forum and so this i think is a perfect example of what we need to see this guy has a business that's going to take off i wouldn't be surprised if he has a fleet of these locations a fleet of trucks or you know he, he's clearly understands his product and uh and, and serving folks. So this is my long answer to this. I think that from a corporate standpoint, you know, we've got AutoZone here, we've got uh, International Paper, we've got, of course, the great FedEx, which is the bedrock, and uh, so many others in the corporate world that are terrific, and, and a lot of other smaller companies. But we also have rising entrepreneurial class, which we need to encourage and support. And our educational institutions here in town need to be agile enough to support these business people so when they need to learn a skill that they may not have gotten in class in high school or college or community college they need to be agile enough to give them a certificate and get them you know on a very rapid basis up to speed on doing their books on supply chain issues on how to run a business. Um, and I think we'll be well served. And I think I think the educational institutions that have, are enlightened enough to do this are going to be rewarded for, for having that foresight. Yeah, I think you're right. And um, I had uh, Ted Townsend on. Uh, I think yeah, I think that his uh, going to be broadcast this coming Thursday. And we talked about that, how um, Memphis is such a great entrepreneurial environment, uh, largely for the reasons I think, you know, we were joking about you coming from New Jersey, but I think it's that same accepting attitude that uh, Memphians don't really care where you've been. They really care kind of where you are now. And uh, I just think there are, you know, tons of stories out there like that of uh, people making it uh, big here. And that's the future. I think that the future is not, uh, just drawing, you know, having a W-2 from an employer, but freelancing and being entrepreneurial, I think is the way our kids and our grandchildren are going to uh, uh, be making their living as opposed to the way we grew up, which was you went out and you went a job uh, and got a job unless you, you know, had access to a lot of money to be able to start your own business. That's right. That's it's so right. much easier. Yeah, that's right. So um, you've been uh, anchor for how long? So uh, it started April Fool's Day, 1983, which is that's such an April appropriate Fool's day. Still going on. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so Mason Granger, who had been one of my mentors and was my boss, the news director, he was running our operation as well as anchoring the 5 p.m. news, which used to be an hour. And the 10 o'clock news, and you know, that's a long day. So that was 9 a.m. meeting, you know, the newsroom, what are we gonna cover today? And then, you know, figure that out and then, you know, manage a newsroom, which is 75 people. We're open 24 seven, 365 days a year. We're like Walmart. It got to tiring him out. And so he was looking for some help at 10 o'clock at night. And I started filling in for him in 1982 and in 80, 83, I got the opportunity on St. Patrick's Day, good Irish boy, got the opportunity, they invited me to do it. Uh, 
in 83. And I've been doing it ever since. So it's, you know what, the thing about it is, Alan, and if you're a young person listening to this, I was horrible. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't bad. I was horrible when I got started as the anchorman. I never anticipated this would happen. And so I just wasn't good. I was really nervous. I was, uh, you know, just, just, just scared to death. And I finally eased into it and watched myself enough and did enough self-evaluation uh, and examination. And then, you know, it's like riding a bike in a way, you know, you do it and do it and do it. And then, you know, you finally find your gear and you learn, okay, this is how you do this, you know, and I still make mistakes, but uh, not quite as many. <laughs> well, as, as you know, uh, back in the day, I was uh, chairman of the Republican Party here in Shelby County. And I, and I've had the opportunity to be interviewed a lot, interviewed on your station, interviewed on your competitor station. And they always, uh, people always ask me, what's the best station in, in Memphis? And I said, well, I'm not going to get into best, but let me tell you this story. I, you know, I do shows on, I do interviews on all, all the stations. The back of my head was, was on, uh, Bob Dole, I think came to town. And the back of my head was on a shot of Bob Dole speaking on Channel 5. And I got more calls saying, hey, I saw you on Channel 5 than I did for any of the other interviews I've ever done. So that told me that there were at least a lot of the people who knew me were watching Channel 5. Well, I can tell you this. You know, we uh, did the St. Jude Dream Home campaign for 2022 that started March 25th. And on that day, I went in early and did the early morning news and kicked off the campaign. And in 26 days, we sold 17,000 tickets, which means $1.7 million. It's 100 bucks a ticket. And so people are still watching. The station has power. It is true. It's a 500-channel universe. The web has changed everything. But people still gravitate to us, and particularly people who have a $100 bill who they can share with a charity. And we're very proud of that. We're very proud to be associated with St. Jude. And, um, and uh, we think it's a terrific thing. And so uh, the campaign's over. We raised the 1.7. The only question now is who's gonna win all the prizes? I, I can't wait to find out. I got a little, <laughs> I got a little money riding in there. Um, <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. Barely uh, because I couldn't get my wife to move to Arlington. Uh, but I, I know there are lots of people that want to move out there. It's a great house. I, uh, uh, so we'll see what happens. But let me let me ask you this. Now, I, you know, I'm just going to talk about Channel Five. I don't mean any disrespect to the other stations. Sure. When I have when I have their uh, anchor on. Uh, I do the same thing for them. Uh, They're nice people too. But it 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 seems to me that one of the strategies Channel Five. I've always said Channel Five is like the Pittsburgh Steelers in that the Pittsburgh Steelers have had, you know, three coaches in the last 50 years or some stat like that. They, they stick with people. And I think channel five does a really good job of bringing people along and um, staying with them and building that rapport in the community. And I'm thinking of, you know, Mason Granger to Joe Birch, uh, That's right. Dick Hawley to Mason Granger. Um, That's right. These were, 
you know, uh, Dave Brown to Ron Childress. Right. These were all people who were ingrained in the community before they became anchors. And I don't know, there's just that trust. Uh, is that something that y'all talk about as part of the culture of Channel 5? Or, or is that just a happy coincidence? Well, there's a certain happy coincidence to it. You know, I, I've received a number of job offers over the years. Don't get anchormen start talking about their careers like that. But for whatever reason, it always just made better sense to stay here. And I'm talking about some big jobs. And, um, and you know, I'm so glad in, in 2020 hindsight, I'm so glad it worked out the way it did. You know, for example, here, here's one way to think about it. Okay, they called me up out of Denver, right? And there's a great NBC affiliate out there and they wanted me to do the morning newscast. And I, you know, I said, okay, that's a cool city. And, you know, the Rocky Mountains, I like that. And uh, there's a lot to do out there, et cetera. But I, I feel like if you're going to be the anchor man in a station, you really have to know that city. I mean, in order to get the credibility that you need to have, you need to be able to kind of say at a drop of a hat, oh, that's Madison and B.B. King, Madison and Third Street right there. You know, if that's what appears on camera, whereas if I was to just fly into Denver, boy, it would take me 10 years to get up to speed on everything that I really need to know in order to have what I regard as the credibility to be able to talk authoritatively about the news, you know, to have the comfort level. And so it's my personal philosophy that this really works if you're going to try to be an anchor man and there's just nothing wrong with this town i mean i love our city and so so there's that you know and and there's a lot of appeal to it here um there's uh there there is um some turnover at every station um my longtime partner kanji anthony who was with me for seven years and I know that because uh, Jim Strickland's been mayor for about seven years and Ursula Madden was my co-anchor before that. And she was there about seven years with me. That's about the length my TV partners stick around. And, and in seven years, you can create a rapport with the audience. And, and they've done that. But there are, there are some of us who are lifers in there. And I'm one of them. And I'm proud to be there. So thank you for this Pittsburgh Steelers analogy. Well, I... I just kind of thought of it uh, not too long ago, but it, uh, it, I think it does set Channel 5 apart. And, you know, although the, the trend seems to be um, more transient people, and I, and I, and I, I don't mean that uh, negatively at all, but that's no. just kind no, of the, no, no. the nature of, of, I think, of the business now is people come in, they learn, and as you say, they kind of step up. So hopefully uh, we'll have somebody coming in behind you um, when you're ready to go do something else that uh, has the same kind of staying power. Cause I think it's been good for channel five. And I think it's been good for the, for Memphis that, uh, that you've been around as long uh, as you have and uh, providing that credibility and, and stability. Um, now let me, as we, as we close here, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to, to plug some stuff. Um, everybody knows that if you've, if they've got a, uh, charity event that needs an MC uh, yeah. or needs some help uh, that you're you and 
and your colleagues are always willing to, to do that. You do a lot of great things. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't want to put you on the spot. With I know you're really involved in St. Patrick's. Are there some things right. going on right now that people need to know about and support because of the good work that they that they do that you're involved in? Well, thank you, Alan, for this opportunity. I have some dates memorized. So okay. here we go. Uh, Thursday, I, on May the 7th, the Orion 5K. You know, I've organized 23 5K races for 23 consecutive years. It was the Gibson 5K for 21 years when Gibson Guitar was in town. And then we, when they, when Gibson had to move back to Nashville, it, Orion kindly stepped up. And it was the Orion 5K for two years. What great people run Orion. Fantastic um, credit union based here in Memphis. Well, uh, in the pandemic, I was unwilling to put on anything right. <laughs> for obvious reasons. But um, with for the first time without my um, leadership, but I'm going to be your MC, May the 7th, down on Monroe. It's The race starts at 8.30 in the morning, May the 7th. It is going to be a terrific thing. They're going to have a street party all day after this. So it's an 8.30 a.m. Saturday race. Uh, and this is uh, for the benefit of MIFA, a fantastic uh, organization. I delivered MIFA meals for 19 years and uh, made a lot of friendships along that way. And this, these are two great organizations. I'm talking about Orion and MIFA. And so let's uh, help them and see about uh, getting back in the running world and also enjoying the street party that's going to take place on May 7th. I'm going to, believe it or not, I'm the president-elect of the Memphis Rotary Club. My term of office starts July 1st and uh, 2022. Otis Sanford is our current president. And he's become a very close friend. We meet a lot and kind of chart our course together and have a lot of fun doing it. And the Rotary Club is a service organization, as you know, and we're involved in a lot of things. But one of the things we do is raise money every year for Dorothy Day House of Hospitality, which is located at 1429 Poplar Avenue, as well as other locations, including the former Church, church Health Center properties uh, over on Peabody. There's a couple of houses they run over there. What the Dorothy Day House does is try to keep homeless families united. And uh, it's a beautiful ministry. Uh, it's a very challenging ministry but we are a financial supporter of theirs to the tune of about $15,000 a year. And the way we raise this money is through what we call Cafe du Memphis, a takeoff on Cafe du Mont in New Orleans, where we serve beignets, shrimp and grits, and uh, lots of other good stuff. And yeah, this year we're gonna be, <laughs> we're gonna be doing it at the uh, Malco Drive-In on Summer Avenue. We're at that location because of COVID. So people can come in their car, you collect your food in the car and then you can tailgate or we may have some tables set up we'll have music and it's a lot of fun and and we have real louisiana chefs uh, well i should say rotarians from louisiana who know what they're doing and uh and they uh they're and a matter of fact a lot of them are going to be at laughlin yard this saturday which is uh i think the 20 is that the 24th is it um this yeah, yeah. So this Saturday, and they're going to, uh, we're going to be at Laughlin Yard, and there's a, a crawfish festival there uh, for the benefit of the uh, Rotary Foundation. And so uh, there's, there's a few ideas of good stuff we're doing. Um, I'm going to be very involved with 
the Rotary over this coming year, obviously. And uh, it's a new dimension in leadership and service for me. It's a little scary. You know, our Rotary Club is the 96th one chartered in the world. There's literally over 30,000 clubs in the world. Uh, so we're, we were on the ground floor, chartered in 1914. So we survived the first pandemic, Spanish flu in 1918. Right. And we're still here. And mainly, I want to make sure it survives the Joe Birch administration. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's not every day an anchorman gets to be that guy, the president of a rotary, sticking around long enough and be ingrained in the community long enough to have that kind of uh, opportunity to to arise and i'm really thrilled about it and i'm, I'm very open to uh different service projects that we can do that will that will benefit memphis well y'all do uh rotary uh, club does a great job uh, i'll second uh the the plug for the dorothy day house uh it if you're if somebody listening to this is looking for an opportunity to help the community and help folks uh that really need help in the community uh, lots of uh, avenues, but the Dorothy Day House is truly a great uh, avenue for that. It's one of the few places where uh, husbands and wives and their children can stay together in a homeless situation. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it, it approximates, um, you know, apartment living. Uh, and so it provides a good, stable uh, atmosphere for the, for the kids in a in a great place to get back on uh, their feet for the adults and uh, lots of support. I just can't say enough good things about the Dorothy Day House, uh, and I appreciate the Rotary Club for helping them out. Yeah, yeah, well, it's a great thing. It's a great. All thing. right. Well, Joe, I I really really appreciate your time. Uh, I could uh, talk to you. One thing we really didn't talk too much is about the Memphis present and future. Maybe we'll save that for a future show. Um, All right. But I, I enjoyed uh, our, our conversation, and I think uh, a lot of people who, who uh, have the opportunity to listen to this or watch this will as, as well. It's good to know the backstory on people that are important to our community, and so thank you for sharing um, uh, all that for, for folks. I'm sure there are people out there that uh, are going to be inspired by uh, your rise, and uh, if they emulate it, they'll probably do really, really well, especially if they get to work uh, an hour early. That's a uh, that's a, that's a good tip. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Appreciate the invitation. All right. And I appreciate all of you who are watching. If you enjoyed this and I had Joe Birch on, why wouldn't you enjoy it? Uh, please share this, uh, email it to your friends, comment uh, on it. Let us know what you're thinking. And uh, again, I appreciate everybody listening and watching. I want to thank Joe Birch, my guest, one last time. Joe is going to go report the news and I'm going to go get some justice. So thank you all for watching.